My name's Alan. I'm glad to be here with you this weekend. We're kind of wrapping up. This is our final segment in the series that we've been doing uh, called Skeptics Welcome. And we've just basically been trying to look an honest look at questions that people have that maybe you've had yourself. And, and so this week we are tackling the question that all revolves around that I've gotten many times in many different ways of why are Christians such jerks? You ever noticed that? And I've got many questions. Why would I want to be associated with Christians in the church based on how I've seen Christians behave? That's a, that's a legitimate question. And so, you know, I've heard the church is about hope and love, but what about all the jerks? You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you've, you've been driving on the freeway, and someone speeds up past you just to pull in front of you to slow down. Never happened. I don't know why they do that, but they do that, and you gotta, you know, you know, slam on your brakes, and then you look, and on the back of their car is a bumper sticker that says "God loves you." <laughs> Obviously, that was left there by the previous owner. <laughs> I remember a time I was at, um, I, I manage a dental practice. I work here part time, and I also work at a, a dental practice. And I was talking with a patient one time about our faith. It was a great conversation. It's really good. And then later on, I saw him on the freeway. And he had gotten in this altercation. They're going back and forth and just racing around each other. And then, of course, I was speeding to keep up and watch this thing. But <laughs> they're, they're you know, yelling at each other. He's using some choice words. Um, I won't, you know, we're at church and won't say them, but I'm sure you've heard them. I'm sure you've probably said some of them this morning. Um, but, but he was obviously mad and red-faced, and I just looked, just I wanted to, I just wanted to know at the back of his car and see, and I did see one of those, you know, Christian fish, and, you know, I've done different things like that, or what about protesters, right? There's some hot issue, some big controversy, some event, and there's people outside and, and yelling and making their statement known, and there's that person that's standing there holding their sign, and on the sign is, you know, some wonderful verse from the Bible talking about, you know, something good, and they're standing there just yelling and screaming. The look on their face, the venom that's just, they're twisted and mean and yelling. And it's like, Ugh. and then people ask about this. And I've had many people ask me and they say, you know what, what's going on? What's the Christian perspective? How come they would do that? And, and my answer is usually something like, um, um, I'm not that kind of Christian. Like, what do you say? My boss was at a, um church recently uh, for his kids sporting event and he said oh you know that church because you know some people think all the churches are the same and connected together that you know the church is that you guys and I'm like what church and like I'm going through the lobby he's like there's there's kiosk and things all on the side everything's talking about money give money we need your money all this stuff money 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 and and I'm like oh yeah that's uh we're not that kind of church I mean what else do I say do you know the churches I'm talking about maybe you've seen on tv where they're always talking about money. It seems to be the focus, money, money, money. And you hear messages like, reach into your hearts and reach into your wallets. <laughs> right? What did I say? Does that seem like the message that we're trying to say? I remember I stopped at, recently on, on the side of the road. There's this, there this lady standing there with her child. Obviously, her car was broken down. So I stopped to help, which I know is kind of hard to do, scary in today's world. It, it was light out and and I was pleased that there was another neighbor of mine already stopped that goes to another church that was helping. I was like, that's cool. And why was there helping? Two other people from this church stopped as well to help. 
And she said to me, she goes, oh, man, the people at your church are so nice. Not the people at my church. They're not nice. They don't care about people. And I said, no, the you know, church, you know, they gotta care about people. And right after I said that, um, someone from her church drives by and just gives a little wave like, hey. And she said, see, they don't care about people. It's like, what, what do I say about that? My neighbor, my next door neighbor, um, was having troubles with the neighbor on the other side of him. And they were just, the one on the other side was just rude all the time, was angry, just was getting, it was getting very toxic. And um, I felt I needed to say something because the neighbor two houses down that was being very toxic was a pastor. And you know this because on the side of the van parked in the drive, it said boldly that he's a pastor, had a slogan, what they're going to do to save this city. And so I said to my neighbor that lives in between us, and I said, I just, I just want to apologize for what he's doing. And he's like, why are you apologizing? And I said, well, he, he says he's a Christian. I say I'm a Christian, and he's doing this. And I just, I just want to say that's not who we represent. And he goes, no, 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 no. You have nothing to apologize for. And there's tons and tons of examples. Maybe what I'm talking, you're thinking of somebody that you know that we, they don't act what they say, or they say one thing and then they do another. It just seems very hypocritical. Maybe you're thinking of someone in your mind. And, you know, if I'm being, if I'm being honest, I mean, is this a safe place? Is this a safe place? Can I be honest here? Um, I've done this many times. You know, I try to make it a point to tell people, especially at work, I'm a Christian, to share my faith, and then I do stupid things. Um, I remember one time I was at a staff meeting, and I'm in charge of this meeting. I'm leading this meeting, and there's this, um, it's just kind of a, it was a kind of a rough environment at the time, not the place I'm at now, but, and there was this employee, a couple employees that probably shouldn't be there, but we had to have for any, whatever reason, and we're going through some things, and I say, hey, this is a new way we're doing this, and she, like usual, goes, no, I'm not doing that, and starts pushing back, pushing back, and it just got really, I mean, it was, it was bad. And so I just got mad about the whole thing. I, I was done. I was furious. So I said some sharp words, and I got up and I'm going to storm out and just say I'm done with this meeting because I was just so frustrated. Well, the chair that I was sitting in had some narrow arms, and I don't know if you can tell from your vantage point where you're sitting, <laughs> but I'm not the most narrow person. So my little huff and puff to get up out of there and just make my point uh, was de-escalated the fact that my chair stayed with me. <laughs> so I had to do the little wiggle, and then I was, now I'm just even more mad, and I tossed the chair aside. I'm not a small fellow, so it goes bouncing around the side of the room, and, and, and I left, and I stormed out, and, and you know, no one really blamed me for you know, being frustrated at that em employee. Cause, I mean, she was being insubordinate, but the legend of the chair now is that Alan got really mad, threw the chair, careened around the room, and almost killed three people. <laughs> but, so I felt horrible, like losing my cool. But what makes matters worse is there's two ladies in that staff meeting that had come from abusive relationships. And so now they had a legitimate reason to be frightened and not trust. And I, I heard that, and man, I was... I was crushed. My actions seemed to cause more, more turmoil for the cause of what I said I lived my life. 
and I want to tell more people about Jesus, but it seemed like I was just digging myself in a hole. Have you experienced this? Have you experienced jerk Christians? Maybe, maybe. Maybe you've been one of those jerk Christians. There's something you did and you could wish you could take back. And Maybe you have someone as we're talking, you're thinking, someone that you know that says they're a Christian, they talk Christian all the time, but they're always thinking about themselves. Or maybe they're even hurtful to other people. You think of somebody? Or um, someone ever, you ever learned for the first time that someone was a Christian? They're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian too. And you're thinking, huh? You're a Christian? Because the way that they've lived their life, you say, that doesn't seem to match. Maybe you've even been hurt by a church leader in the past. You know, someone that let you down, someone who claimed to represent a loving God, but wasn't very loving. You know, maybe just encounter people like me who do jerk moves even as a Christian. Well, my, my goal here today is not to convince you that Christians are jerks. Um, you're like, hey, honey, we, he's right. We better get out of here. Grab the kids. Let's go. Because that's how you talk. Um, <laughs> but I do believe that Jesus would like to straighten this out today. He'd like to share something with us. And, and so if you want to reach into your worship folder, there's some study notes there. And we're going to be in the Bible, and if you weren't here the past couple weeks, I encourage you to listen to those online. Two weeks ago, we talked about how you can know that the Bible is a valid source, to know that it's true. It was really, really good. Uh, last week, we talked about how we're created for God's glory, so we're going to build on that, so we're going to use the Bible. And so you'll be able to follow along. We'll have verses up there, but before I go any further, can I just pray and ask the Lord to guide the rest of this time? Lord Jesus, we just thank you, and we want to honor you. We want to see what you have to say to us. Will you show us in your word the truth? Would you help us to know how we intersect with that, what challenges we need to look at in our life? Would you just clarify anything that we have, any misgivings about you, and just paint a picture so we can know you more? We ask you to guide the rest of this time. Amen. So I thought if we're going to say, what is it, a jerk Christian? We need to know what does it mean to be a Christian? What is a Christian? And the Bible gives us some instructions, and I want to point out one in Ephesians 5. It says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Christians are to be imitators of God, loving like Christ. Christian, like Christ. If we're going to say, okay, as a Christian, we need to know, is it like Christ? That's how we can evaluate. So my, my youngest son, Oliver, he's in this big phase here. He wants to mimic everything that I do. It's like yesterday morning, I get up, he's already in my bed, the alarm goes off. I sit up, I turn the alarm off. He sits up and he pretends to turn the alarm off. I go to the computer and do this, and he does this. I go to get dressed. He's got a shirt, and he's waiting until I change my shirt. And he changes his shirt exactly the same time with me and just follows me around to do exactly what I'm doing because he wants to mimic. He wants to be like me, scary or not. He wants to be like me. So being a Christian would say we want to be like Christ, right? You with me so far? So I guess we need to know what did Jesus really do and say 
Who is this Jesus? What did he come to do? And so we're going to do a little snapshot, kind of the life and heart of Jesus and kind of paint a picture so we're all on the same page. What is Jesus all about? Okay? So it's important to know where we're, where we're picking up the story here where Jesus kind of has started his ministry and he was saying a lot of new things that were getting attention. He was uh, healing people. Uh, so drew lots of crowds. Um, people didn't like it, uh, especially the religious leaders of that day who were kind of in charge of that. They didn't like the attention shifting from what they had to say to this new message. And so we're going to pick up uh, in Matthew a story here. Matthew 12. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, the religious leaders, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because the laws and rules of that day, you don't do certain kinds of work on the Sabbath. And so they wanted to ask him so that they might accuse him, it says. Well, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Right? Sheep's down there in a pit, you grab it. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees, those religious leaders, went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. We see here Jesus is compassionate and values people. His compassion values people even when it's going to get him in kind of some trouble with the, the authorities and the leaders of that day. He cared more about people than about his own concern. Even if it put him in a hard position, he wanted to show compassion. What about this, Matthew 9? Let's keep looking at another passage. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Now, let me explain about tax collectors back then, okay? You may not like the IRS now, but it was really bad back there. The people that collected the taxes were in charge of getting it. They would skim off the top. A lot of them were corrupt. They were just despised. No one liked tax collectors. You may not like them still today, but it was even worse then, okay? And so he goes to his tax booth, and he says to him, follow me. And so he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So lots of these despised people, sinners of all types, hanging out, reclining with Jesus. And when the Pharisees, those religious leaders, when they saw this, they said to his disciples, Jesus' followers, were kind of like trying to nitpick at them. And they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Can you just hear him saying that? With tax collectors and sinners. Because that's how they talk. But when he heard this, when Jesus overheard this, he said, I love this quote. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he kind of smacks him in the face a little bit because he quotes scripture that they should know in Hosea. That's what this, this passage says, where it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire steadfast love 
and not a religious ritual. That's not what I'm going after. So that had to sting them a little bit. But Jesus wanted to make the point that I want a relationship with people, not a, a religion. He wanted to be with the people. And throughout the recordings of the Bible, you see Jesus building relationships and him calling other people to build relationships with people. He was in the relationship business, not in the religion business. And then you see him speak harshly against hypocrisy. I mean, straight out. Matthew 23 says this. This is not even just kind of a little subtle thing in the background. This is straight up here, okay? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's some pretty harsh language. But he wanted to make it clear it's not about what's on the outside. That's what the religious leaders, they wanted to, to look good. They wanted to, to present how well they were. And he said, that's not what matters. What matters is inside. And you guys are dead inside. It matters, and my concern, he said, my concern is the condition of the inside. So the Pharisees were all about putting heavy demands, do it right, make sure you follow these rituals. And he said, no, 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 no. Let me do the work and you rest. Because Jesus is also humble and generous. Let's look at this passage in Matthew 11. He says this, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke. So yoke's that thing that, you know, oxen would wear and, and, and pull. And he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly or humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not more demands, not more religion, not more rituals, but Jesus wanted to release us from the unattainable. He wanted to give rest and take the burden on himself. And then Jesus gives glory to God perfectly. He set up this scene. So he's, he knows that his time is coming. This is towards the end of his ministry there on earth. Um, doing lots of miracles, talking to people, trying to share as much as he can. And so now he's spending some time with his disciples, his followers that he'd been training and teaching. And he does, shares a lot of stuff with them, kind of final instructions. He washes their feet to show how uh, of a humble servant he is. He answers their questions. And then he begins this prayer to his Father in heaven. We're going to just kind of peek in at the beginning part of this prayer. This is what what he says, John 17, he says, when Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you had given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on this earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus says, I accomplished the work that I had been given. See, God sent Jesus to earth on a pur- with purpose. So I guess the question would be, what did Jesus accomplish? We talked about last week how God created us to give him praise, to give him all glory, to give him all praise. And we've just been failing at this over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, there was law set up so that when you did something wrong, when you had sin, you could atone for it somehow through a sacrificial system. You do this, then you have to give this. Something must pay. When you do this, you pay with this. You do this, you pay with that. There was always this transaction. But it was hard, and it was hard to keep up, and the Pharisees didn't make it any easier. It became a, a way for those proud leaders to oversee those people and give more and more burden. Well, God loves us so much, loves us so much that he wanted to release us from that. But something still had to pay. And so the mission that he gave to his son, that he accomplished, he said, you have to go live this life perfectly that they could not do. Because something has to pay, and it has to be of justice. It has to count. It has to count for what it's paying for. And so Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And then out of love, he gave up his life. He gave up his life for all of our sins to make that transaction for us because of how he lived his life, not because of how we lived ours. And because he was perfect, because he did it perfectly, as he said, he glorified on earth what he accomplished to do, that sacrifice does fully satisfy the requirements. So justice has been served. So Jesus came to give eternal life as a gift. Look at this passage with me. Ephesians 2 talks about this gift. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we sinned greatly, even when we had nothing to offer, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus when he raised Jesus from the dead. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, including the Pharisees. Grace, immeasurable riches, kindness, eternal life. When we had nothing to offer, that's what he gave us. Nothing I did, nothing you can do, but it's a gift from him. You just have to decide if you want to take it. He says in John 1, But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, had faith, 
So this is a, a gift through faith. He gave the right to become children of God. And so when I read all these passages, a snapshot of Jesus and what he came to do and how he accomplished this mission and how he said he wants to give it in grace, a free gift because of his work, not because of yours. And so it always amazes me when I talk to people and they view Jesus more like the Pharisee than how he was. And I thought, why do they see him as this oppressor of this person of religion? And then I remembered, oh, I know why, because Christians are jerks. Have you met those people who display Christ like a Pharisee? They misrepresent him all the time, and they claim to be Christians, and they more point out the sin and how they're failing instead of Jesus and how he succeeded. So we get this view of what Christians look like, and unfortunately, sometimes that view is just a representation of, those Pharisees. People that misquote, they act out as Christians. And I want to tell people, I mean, how can you break that cycle? How can you know? Well, one, I would just say, read the Bible. Read the Bible. Get to know Jesus, the real Jesus. So if you're here and you're like, oh, this is new. This is not what I've, I've heard before. Someone invited you or you've been coming around for a while and you go, this seems like it doesn't match some of these other things that people have said or done. Read the Bible. Know for sure. Don't let those idiot Christians convince you of a Jesus that doesn't exist. A different Jesus that doesn't exist. So what should it look like? What should we as Christians, if we say, hey, I'm a Christian. I want to be like Christ. What should that look like? You with me? Let's look at this passage, John 15. This is a tough one. Okay? You ready for this? This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. Love one another as I, like I. Christian, be like Christ. Love others as I have loved you. And greater love is no one than this. And lay down his life. Hey, I laid down my life, he says. I want you to do the same. If you want to be a Christian, act like Christ. Lay down your life, and it's hard, and you have to do it purposefully. To put others before yourself, even we saw that with Jesus, even when he washed the disciples' feet. So if we want to be a Christian, or if we want to know what a Christian looks like, we have to look at Christ. And so what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? Right? We have lots of different people in this room. Each one of you in a different part of your story, a different part of my story. So what does this mean for me? So let's think about this. What if, if you're here and say you're still exploring Christianity? Here's what I would urge you to do. Lower your expectations of people. I mean, you've got to take your expectations of people, even Christians that say they're Christians, you need to take that expectation low. Let me give you an example. I've been working really, really hard for many, many years to take the expectations of my wife for me doing housework down to here. <laughs> the expectations is so low, I can meet them anytime I want. You see how this works? So if you're here exploring, you want to know more about Christianity, you got to lower your expectations of the people, whether they claim to be Christians or not. you got to take them real low. And you're going to go right to the source. 
And listen, I, I love this church. We have lots of good people here who are following Christ and pushing towards him and love him, yes. But even them, even the best of us, you think you're one of the best? Even the best of us, we would agree, right? That we all fail. We all fall short. We all do something that disappoints. And so if you're still exploring, don't look at the people. Let the people help you look at Christ. We're not a perfect church, which is good news, because otherwise one of us here would mess it up real quick, right? What about if you would say, I'm here, I, I, I identify myself as a Christian, but if that's not really how you look the rest of the week, I would say humble yourself. You say, yeah, I, I come because this is the best This is the best option. I think I'm a Christian. I would say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. But you haven't done this. You haven't let that gift reach all the way to you. If you live your life one way here and the rest of the week, people would say, wait a second, what? You're a Christian? If that's you, I, I, I would say humble yourself and say, what, what does Christ want to show me to be more like him? What do I need to know about my life that I haven't let go of? Can you help me to humble myself? And think about it. Who's, whose record are you counting on? Your own or his? If we try to do that religious ritual, we're not going to make it. We can't do enough. We can't give enough. There's not enough transaction that we can make, but only the transaction that he did for us. So if you only identify with Christians by name, then I would say humble yourself. And if you're here and you're walking like Christ, you say, yeah, I want to be a Christian. You know, I, I, I blow it sometimes, but, but man, I, I, I'm after his heart. I accepted his gift. I would say share your heart and your actions. We have to be living examples, kind of show and tell. Because sometimes it's not what we do that makes us a jerk, but what we don't do. I mean, think about this. We know but what we just talked about. We know there's plenty of people out there that are pretending to be Christians or say they're Christians that aren't being Christ-like. And they're probably some of the most loud and vocal people that we see. And so what about people who are Christians? When we do blow it, when we do have something that messes up, that we have to be willing to confess it, we have to be willing to apologize and say, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I had to do with my coworkers, I apologize to each one of them. I apologize to staff me. I'm, I'm sorry, this is not what... I want to represent. But as Christians, we need to be more vocal and letting our, us people know that we're Christians and we're not perfect. And so if you're here and you're, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, share. Share that you're a Christian. Be real, not perfect, but share in how you fail. Share in your successes and what Christ has done. We need to be a voice so people can see, well, this Christian and that Christian aren't the same. You're right. Some people only claim to be. Just at work the other day, I don't know what I did. If I, if I remembered, I'd tell you. But I was doing something that someone at work said, aren't you supposed to be like pastor churchy guy? And she was trying to call me out. And I'm like, oh, no, you're right. And it's, it's sometimes hard to hear that. But I like to let people know as, as soon as I can that I'm a Christian because it helps me. They're going to call me out. Okay, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. So the people around you know 
that you're a Christian, that's kind of scary for some people. You know, you're like, oh, I don't want them to hold me to that standard. But we want to love people and show Christ. That's our, our privilege to do. And so for each one of you, I, I like to think in terms of, of, of next steps. Right? Because it's easy to come, hear something, and say, okay, but what does it mean for me now? What should I do next? What is, what is my next step? We each have our own next step. That makes sense? So you got to pick, pick up what yours is. But I just think, what, what would it look like? What would it look like if all of us, imagine, worked really hard, really hard, at trying to understand who Jesus was more? Like, we worked really hard to open up the Bible, to read who he was really about, what he was really about, more about his life, and not just what we hear trickle through some of the people we know, or maybe even here just on the weekends, or what we learned a couple years ago. What would it look like? No matter where you're at, whether you're still exploring or you've been a Christian for years, what would it look like if we just let Jesus instruct us more and got in his word and know what his heart was about? What, what could that look like? What if you, especially if you're exploring, allowed yourself that time, that space to say, listen, if I truly say I want to explore, my friend invited me, I'm here today, or every, every time life gets a little hard, I kind of dabble a little bit, what could that look like if you set aside time, at least a few times a week, to read through and find out more about what his life was like and who he was, like the verses that we read today. That could be so powerful. What would happen, even the person who says, yeah, I've only been saying I'm a Christian, that we'd start to let Christ impact more and more of our day-to-day life, where the other parts of our life that may not even know we're Christian, we'd say, okay, I need to start letting this come in the rest of my life and, and using it to make decisions and think through how might this impact? What could that look like? And if we're helping each other to do that, once again, lower the expectations of the people, but help each other as we do it. And what would it look like? Imagine this. If you're a believer and you say, yeah, I love Christ. And I'm going to take every opportunity I can, even when I blow it, be humble and to tell the people that, that I, I screwed up with. I say, hey, listen, I need to be honest here. I need to confess. This is, this is, this is not how I want to act. This is not what I, I want to do because of what he's done for me. I don't, I, listen, I don't have to earn it. I can tell you all about that. I don't have to earn it because he gave it to me as a free gift. But man, I want to represent him better than I didn't today. What would happen if we were just more vocal about that? And we're sharing our heart and we're sharing our life with people around us. Imagine if we're doing that to each other. And imagine if we're doing the people that we're involved in. Wouldn't that be neat? And so for you, like I said, I believe we all have a next step. So for you, you have to think through, is there a particular person? Maybe something happened this week. Maybe like, this is a great example. I could do this. Maybe you threw a chair and it, you know, bounced around the room and almost killed people. Maybe that was you. Maybe you're just harsh with somebody that you're allowed to be harsh with, but because you oversee them and you think that's part of your role, but you think, no, that's not how I want to lead. And it was to your kids, and you're like, I just was, I was just kind of exerting my parental right over them. Think it through. Maybe something happened this week 
Maybe you're thinking, oh, when I go into work Monday morning, I need to say something. I've just been kind of passive about my faith. What could happen if more people realized what Christ was like because we tried to let them see it? Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I just thank you that we could, we could be here and explore your word and just kind of see that snapshot of your life, what you're about and what you're not about. We could see very clearly that you don't want hypocrites, but you want people who are humble and lowly in heart just like you, that you wanted to do it all. You came to accomplish this work. You came to take all the hard parts off of us and allow us to come to you so we can receive rest. We're so thankful for that, that there's nothing we can do to earn that because it is a free gift. But Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to accept that. To take that free gift that's offered. You did all the heavy lifting. And I praise your name that you did. And if, if we've taken that gift, would you help us to share that with others and live our life and being ready to be humble, be ready to apologize, be ready to share what you're really like, especially when we don't act the way that we wanted to. Help us not to be proud and say, well, we're forgiven anyways, but instead be humble and say, praise God. This is another thing that's been covered. Lord, would you, would you challenge each one of us individually, whatever our response needs to be, whatever you want to tell us, and would you bring people in our life just to talk about it with, not to count on, but to talk about it with. Lord, would you help us to know how to explore this more and support each other as we try to grow in your word and to know who you are more closely than ever. Lord, we praise your name and give you the rest of our time here today.